3: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. And today is a pretty gloomy, drizzly day in Brooklyn. It's actually Marathon Day here in New York City. So, uh, um, uh, you know, other other than running in the marathon, um, it's a great day for cooking. And um, I'm really excited to be sharing a cookbook that I adore today. It just came out this fall from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. I've often told friends that I like one of the dreams that I have is to collect a different cookbook for every single country in the world. Um, that is a cookbook that is solely d- devoted to that one country's cuisine and its people and its culture. And so I'm really excited to have a cookbook that delves into the unique cuisine of Turkey. It is called Istanbul and Beyond, and its author, Robin Eckhart, is on the line right now. Hi, Robin. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining. Um, this Thanks for is having me on the show. A wonderful cookbook. Not only, I mean, not only is it covering a cuisine that I am less familiar with, um, uh-huh. but it does so in such a fabulous, in-depth, and uh, visually stunning, and uh, rich with insights, um, and, and uh, of course, fabulous-looking recipes along the way. It's a year, yeah. And I, I understand it's the product of some twenty years of researching and traveling in the country.
4: Um, Yes, we first went to Turkey in 1998, uh, the photographer, David Hagerman, and I, Mm -hmm. and um, fell in love with Turkey, um, and uh, that prompted me to study Turkish, and um, we sort of went back when we could, and then uh, at that time, when we visited Turkey, neither of us were doing what we do now. Uh, Uh Dave was in business, and... I was working on a PhD. Um, fast forward 12 years, we were both freelancers, he in photography and I as a food and travel writer. And so we re- revisited Turkey after an absence of eight years and um, felt this um, inexplicable pull that we'd felt when we first visited in 1998. And so at that time, kind of decided to. You know that we had the time and we had the freedom to do something in Turkey to make it a bigger part of our lives, and the idea for the book came about a year later.
3: Yeah, I'm curious though about how, since this is such a long lead project, and then you've seen it transform throughout the past couple of decades, um, I'm curious about that. But first of all, first of all, um, if you could just sort of orient us with the the region that we're talking about, Turkey. It's um, you know where and who are the Turkish people.
4: Okay, so um, the book uh, focuses on the foods of Istanbul, and then um, after the opening chapter in which we are in Istanbul, and it's, um, it's my Istanbul, really. It's, it's the foods that I'm most interested in when I'm there. We jump uh, across the west, western half of the country to the east. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested to um, focus on a part of Turkey that most foreigners don't travel to, and even a lot of Turks don't travel to people who live in western Turkey, parts of the country who, with interesting and, and little lesser-known cuisines, um, and also a lot of Kurdish food that I, I wanted to shine a spotlight on. And uh, it should be said that Turkey has seven official regions. Okay. Um, the regions as in the book are as I defined them, uh, by traveling the country by road and observing changes in topography and climate and how that translated to what people eat. So mm-hmm. the regions um, quickly are the Black Sea, um, the Black Sea coast up in the north. Um, and it's uh, it's you can imagine it to be a little bit like the Pacific Northwest in terms of climate.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very
4: lush and green and Wines. it's rainy and it doesn't get a lot of snow except at higher elevations. Um, and the diet is... Uh, lots of leafy greens, lots of fish, no surprise there, and um, lots of corn, which is very unusual that for That is really unusual, in Turkey, Robin. Uh, dried corn in uh-huh. all shapes and forms and, and ways. Um, and then we just sort of went in a count- in a clockwise, as if we were doing a road trip, because okay. this was the result of road trips. So we moved towards the Georgian border, and mm-hmm. we're in northeastern Turkey, uh, an area of lush, uh, high plateaus, Um perfect for grazing cows, say, and um, yeah. this is a part of the country in which one's wealth is measured and how many cows one has. And so you don't find lamb here really that much. Um, there's a lot of beef, and there's tons of dairy. And yeah. then we moved south to Van and Hakkari, which are Kurdish provinces bordering Iran and Iraq. Um, The landscape changes dramatically. It's um, very uh, craggy, um, a very rough topography, craggy, rough foothills, um, not much arable land. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a lot of sheep, uh, not sheep really, mutton in the diet because it's only sheep and um, goats that can sort of handle this kind of rough terrain. You couldn't really graze cows there. And as a result of the lack of arable land, uh, most of which is devoted to raising um, feed crops, um, people forage in the spring, and that is where a lot of um, the greens in the diet come from is just these wild herbs and vegetables that people Mm. forage literally by the tons in the spring and then um, add to a local cheese called herbed cheese that is made from the milk that comes from the sheep and goats that, you know, pasture on the same herb. So it's mm. it's a really tight little circle there. And then we moved back west to the southeast, um, Shanley Irfa province, people may know, because of Urfa pepper. Um, That is the home of Urfa pepper and Diyarbakir, which is a Kurdish province. Uh, And here you see the appearance of, like, lots of spices, um, lots of heat, more chilies, um, more lamb. Lamb kind of reappears in the diet. Okay. And then we... Continue to go west and dip down to Hattai province, which is a Mediterranean province bordered by the Mediterranean on one side and Syria on the other. It used to be part of Syria until the early 20th century. And so here's a very Levantine, Levantine influence cuisine. It's, um, if we think of, you know, Middle Eastern food or Levantine food, this is what we're imagining. Olive oil, pomegranates, pomegranate molasses, chilies, heat, uh, fresh herbs, very lively, very vibrant, um, And then the last region was we just drove kind of straight north Mm -hmm. from Hatay into north-central Anatolia. And this is really um, the cuisine that, you know, when people think of what is Turkish food, this Ah, is what people kind of often imagine. Lots of lamb, uh, lots of grains, lots of legumes, um, and a bit of dairy.
3: Wow. So Turkey is like so many cuisines in itself. And, um, you know, it's a very horizontal land, too. And Istanbul is all the way on the west Right. But yet there's this huge, you know, region, and it, and it borders something like 10 different other countries.
4: Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, and they're, they're, yes, there are definitely influences from, I mean, especially when you get Far East, you can see um, Persian influences, and you can see Georgian influences. And, you know, I mean, national borders are basically artificial. So um, you can see this, you know, as you approach a border, we've, we're looking at, at influences from other countries.
3: Right, right. And it's, um, it's a fascinating history behind you know, each of these areas. Um, let's start with Istanbul, because that's where you start off your journey. Um, right. Because you write that it's home to one of, like this one city itself is home to one of the world's great fusion cuisines um, because of all the different peoples. Can you give us a little sort of, uh, I guess, snapshot of, of uh, who makes up current Istanbul, not Constantinople? Just kidding. <laughs>
4: um, so Istanbul, as probably your listeners know, was... The capital of the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. um, a great port city, and it still is port city. Um, and so you had influences, uh, you had foods imported from across the empire. Um, wow. While the rest of Turkey under the Ottoman Empire pretty much ate the way it always had eaten, mm-hmm. people in Istanbul had access to um, rice from uh, from Persia. They had, you know, coffee came from Africa. Um, Cup day came from the Balkans. Um, it also, like got... dairy products, like kaimak, the rich sort of clotted cream that you find in Istanbul, came from the Balkans. And it also had the Topkapı Palace, where there were literally thousands of cooks, um, you know, working Ooh. to um, mm-hmm. make ever more complicated and outrageous dishes to impress the emperor. Cool. Uh, and that's what we call palace cuisine. That's not really. That's not really. Um, what people eat every day. Dishes like um, a mackerel where you take out the flesh and you chop it and you mix it with um, all these warm spices and raisins and pine nuts and then you stuff it back into the the fish so it's still whole. I mean, they are just cooks (laughs) not going to do that. But those are those sort of complicated, richly spiced uh, dishes are, are what you can associate with sort of a higher cuisine in Istanbul,
3: and then Istanbul though, is really also
4: a place of street food because yeah. it is a city. It's a very busy city, and uh, you need people need something to eat quickly. You know, right. on the go, a lot of street and, food. Um, mm-hmm. It is really where these restaurants called Esnaf Lokanta, which means basically tradesmen's canteens, started in the late uh, mid to late eighteen hundreds when offices started opening up on the European side, and. People wanted to eat lunch, you know, but they couldn't go all the way home for lunch. So these lovely um, homey places opened up, and they're still there, uh, where you've got a steam table, and it's got all these soups and stews and very home-style, basically home-style dishes Mm -hmm. um, that are reasonably priced and that could service office workers. And I just want to say that um, a lot of uh, visitors go to assemble and they poke their heads in these places and they see the steam tables and they go, uh, no, because they're thinking American visitors, especially I think buffets, but no, these uh. are dishes that, you know, you want cooked mm. low and slow over low heat. I and, see. um, yeah, this is, this is the closest you can get to home cooking without going into a home.
3: That's funny. Um, I love that you write that also halva, that sesame sort of sesame seed or tahini dessert is one of the sort of relics of palace cuisine. Because the pantries, um, why was that? It, just, it helped. It held up well in the pantries of palaces.
4: Oh well, it's it, you know it's made with a technique that the average you know cook in Istanbul wouldn't have invented right. on their own. A little complicated. Uh, whenever it was invented, mm-hmm. um, it uses a. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the mugwort. Uh, It's a type of root that is ground and and added Mm. to the sesame to create that kind of fluffy honeycomb Mm. texture. I mean, it's it's not something that's super easy to make at home. And, you know, these people in the palace had access to all the ingredients, for instance, white sugar. I mean, cane sugar or beet sugar was not um, used in Turkey before Um, the Ottoman Empire, and it was able to be imported. Um, Mm -hmm. People used fruit molasses to sweeten things. And it was, you know, the palace cooks who first had access to this exotic, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, ingredient, because it was rare and it was expensive. So you've got all these sweets with, you know, syrupy sweets and Mm -hmm. things like halva that incorporate a rare and, you know, um, expensive ingredient that, that you know, only an emperor could
3: afford, basically. Right. Well, I love that you explore the cuisines. It's in the, the subtitle, you know, exploring the diverse cuisines, plural, of Turkey. Um, it really opens your eyes to how much you don't know about uh, its cuisine. Um, why is it, though, that you mentioned earlier that um, we t- the foods that we tend to think of when we think of Turkish food is that lamb-based northern cuisine? Um, how did that become the more popular, well-known type of foods from Turkey
4: in America? Well, I think it's a function of what Turkish restaurants in America serve. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of Turkish restaurants here. Um, I've been trying to explore them as I move around the country. Um, And with really a very few exceptions, one being Oleana in Boston, um, they tend to have a menu that, that is just, you know, very Set. Yeah. You've got kebabs, um, maybe a donor, um, a few meze or small plates that are recognizable, like hummus, baba ganoush, uh, maybe esme, which is a, a finely ground uh, tomatoes and chili pepper. Um, they might serve some, some bread. It's just, it's a very, you know, that if you don't know Turkey and you haven't been to Turkey and you haven't eaten fairly widely in Turkey, you're going to know. Turkish food, from what you find at a Turkish restaurant in America, and those menus tend to be fairly limited.
3: Huh. Yeah. It's it is interesting how a sort of like American cuisine uh, version of different cuisines sort of just cements itself once it's here. Um, Right. Yeah. Okay. So I have to be a little corny, Robin. Um, Since we have Thanksgiving coming up, (laughs) what dishes do you think from Turkey would pair especially well with turkey?
4: <laughs> um, there's a dish from North Central Anatolia in that chapter mm-hmm. of cracked wheat and pumpkin or butternut squash. That it's super awesome. simple. Um, you basically put, you know, you you sauté some onions and you put cracked wheat or pearled farro or um, pre-soaked wheat berries in a pan, oh, and I you see. add some cubed. Pumpkin and you add water and you cook it till it's all soft and it becomes a sort of risotto texture and I mean pumpkin is perfect for this time of year. Yeah, it um, sounds like you could maybe even use that for is, stuffing. I think a hazelnut huh? uh, dessert called hazelnut kadayif cake. It's in the Black Sea chapter and to me there is um, something about it that uh, is reminiscent of the pecan pie.
3: Okay,
4: uh, in the way the 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 sugar caramelizes a little bit, and the nuts are in there, um, and it's—I think it'd be great dessert. Um, and I think that you can never, you know, go wrong by starting a Thanksgiving dinner with a few um, tasty appetizers or just kind of small bites to get the palate mm-hmm. going. Uh, and I, there's a recipe from Hot Thai that I particularly like. It's a, a salad of sun-dried tomato. And pomegranate seeds, and parsley, and pomegranate molasses, and olive oil with the little chilies, and just a couple of spoonfuls of that, I could totally see on a Thanksgiving table before well, the main course.
3: Those sound like wonderful options, and <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are many more. I love that you're just like, "Yep, here we go." Put a butternut squash. <laughs> I could keep talking. I'll talk um, about. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, actually, we're going to cut to. <laughs> we're going to talk a lot more about some of the amazing-looking recipes um, in this book um, after a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux purposeful pet food. Learn more at org slash pets.
3: All right, we're back chatting more with the author of Istanbul and Beyond. It's Robin Eckhart. Hi, you still with us? Hi. All Thank right, you. great. So, you know, going through this uh, cookbook, there's a lot of dishes that look somewhat familiar. There's um, there's dolmas or stuffed vegetables. There's stuffed cabbage, which I love, and, um, and I come across uh, a dish that looks a little bit like shakshuka, that Israeli egg eggs poached and tomato
4: sauce. I think um, a Turk would say that shakshuka is a little bit like menmen.
3: Okay, so this is menmen, <laughs> <laughs> right? So uh, let's talk about some some of the differences. By the way, this looks beautiful. It's um, chunky tomato and pepper sauce with poached eggs, and it's called menmen. Is that right? Right. Okay.
4: It's a common breakfast dish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Turks love breakfast. Most um, people know that people in Turkey, across Turkey, love breakfast, although there is no such thing as a Turkish breakfast. They are all differ depending on where you are. Yeah, that's basically, you know, you just saute some onions, peppers, and um, and tomatoes, and you break eggs in it and, and poach the eggs. And then there's another version which um, had to be cut from the book, lack of space, uh-huh. uh, which is you make the sauce, then you puree it, um, then you beat the eggs into the sauce, and you Ooh. put it back in the pan. So you kind of get this sort of mm. almost a souffleed uh, kind of menemen thing. Um, cool. And yeah, I, I think the you know I think the interesting thing with the book is that there are dishes that will kind of sound familiar, but they're they they're done in a different way or they incorporate some slightly different ingredients or there are dishes that incorporate ingredients that everyone knows, but Mm -hmm. they're just done in a different way to create a different flavor. So you mentioned the cabbage rolls. Mm -hmm. That's a recipe from Diyarbakir, uh, which is a mostly Kurdish province. Um, The uh, filling is um, beef or lamb with rice um, seasoned with, uh, chili pepper and a lot of dried mint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's rolled into cabbage leaves, a pretty standard procedure. Um, but the sauce that it's cooked in is uh, a combination of tomato and water, sour, a soured liquid made by soaking sumac, uh, dried mm-hmm. sumac, in water and then draining off the sumac. And sumac and sour flavors are really kind of a hallmark of uh, Kurdish cuisine in Turkey. Uh, And so you've got these cabbage rolls that kind of look like something you know, but they taste uh, quite different because of the vibrant spices, both in the filling and then this sort of soured tomato sauce that's coating it.
3: It looks delicious. And I love all those other surprising combinations. I mean, really, every dish is just, it's a a novelty um, for me at least. widely used, yeah. Cool. Yeah, like the pumpkin, I mean, sorry, the meatballs with pumpkin and spice butter um it's a it's a look just like a wonderful like warming winter dish um yeah
4: that's a, um that's proved proven to be a really popular dish and mm-hmm. i have to say it's one of my favorites and also one of david the photographer's favorites um it incorporates it's you know it's very simple i I try to mimic the um, texture of uh, meatballs or kofte and turkey. They're never hard and heavy. Like, they're oh, okay. never heavy like yeah, American meatballs. There's salty. no bread. There's no eggs. There's no milk. Um, and I chop the ingredients into the meat instead of using my hands to knead it or putting in the food processor, which creates a lighter okay. meatball. And then it's um, just a very simple sauce this, with, of tomato paste dissolved in water. This is very common across Turkey. Tomato paste is used in this sauce basey way. And then, um, the sort of surprise at the end is a butter in which you've sizzled chilies, dried chili and purple basil, which I never associated with Turkish food before I started exploring in the East. It's really common. It holds its scent better than, um, and basil, Italian basil does when it's dried. And I know it, it is available online, um, but if you can't get it, you can substitute Italian basil mixed with ground anise. Uh, and it's, it just mimics the flavor, and you just sizzle in butter and pour it over the top. It's it's really good. I mean, Mind it's a really a fall dish. And I love that me. it
3: has, like, um, pumpkin. You say pumpkin or any winter squash, like acorns, kabocha, butternut, um, right. chunks that we can use, which, you know, might be great for leftovers.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's nice because it cooks, and then the, the little corners of the whatever right. you're using, squash or pumpkin, kind of dissolve into you the sauce. and thicken it. It's a good one.
3: Wonderful. Um, I come across a dish that really I'm like, what? <laughs> no, it's called cornmeal pie with leeks and greens. It sounds like something I would see in, like, an American Southern cookbook. But you mentioned right. that they eat corn and grow corn in this region. Right, so. <laughs> yeah, if
4: you travel along the Black Sea in autumn, um, you will see garlands of corn cobs hanging from the characteristic timber houses and, you know, on lawns and hung from balconies. Corn is a staple of d- the diet on the Black Sea. And if you go quite far south, you know, mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, those those Black Sea people, they eat corn, <laughs> those corn eaters, um, because uh, down south corn is animal feed. Is that derogatory? So this, is really, this is really just a Black Sea thing. Okay. Um Corn is, after the cobs are dried, the kernels are stripped and they're used whole in soups and stews, they're cracked for pilavs, uh, they're ground into cornmeal, and so fish is dipped in cornmeal and fried, and then they're ground into flour uh, for um, breads and things like this cornmeal pie, which is which is really kind of like, a, for me, it kind of encapsulates Black Sea cuisine in that it, it uses corn. Uh, and then it's just filled with all these wonderful greens, um, charred, um, collared, and very um, textured, uh, thick, sturdy spinach are, are found on the Black Sea. And then in the winter, you have leeks that grow literally as high as, as your hip, and um, those are also major ingredients. So this, mm-hmm. this, um, this fish is also proving to be a favorite, and it's proving to be really surprising to people. It's delicious. Yeah. It's nothing that I would have associated with turkey before I went to the Black right. Sea.
3: But it looks so, univer- like so many of these dishes, so universally
4: sort of pleasing. Yeah. I, I think they're very accessible because because they're uh, surprising. They're just, you know, they're Turkish, but they're not what you'd expect.
3: Right. So corn is from the, the New World. So at some point they must have, you know, it caught on in, in the Black Sea region. Um, another thing that is from the New World is turkeys. But I didn't see any mention of turkey in this book. In this I'm sorry, book. I didn't get that. Uh, turkeys. Um, turkeys. Yes,
4: the birds. Oh, yeah, they raise turkeys, the turkey. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any um, recipes turkeys. for them. Um, yes, I've, there, I've seen people will keep turkeys. I don't think it's a, Sort of like in, in Italy, you can buy turkey at the grocery store. It's, it's everywhere, at least in northern Italy where I live. But it's not, it's more of a backyard. Like if you're keeping chickens, you have a mm-hmm. few turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I did ask how turkey is prepared. And it's, um, it would generally be, it's a new, it's a New Year's Eve thing in Istanbul to yes. stuff a turkey with seasoned rice and roast it. Mm-hmm. And then um, outside of Istanbul, it's sort of prepared. Like you mm-hmm. would boil the turkey to create a broth and then you would cook rice in the broth, and then you would serve the two together.
3: Huh. So, can you tell us why we call this bird turkeys?
4: Can I, sorry, you're breaking up. Oh, sorry. Do you know why? The,
3: Do you know the reason why we called turkeys turkeys?
4: <laughs> no, I have to admit that I don't. But okay. I. I I remember reading something about that I, online. A few I mean, years I recall. Do
3: you know? Yeah, I think you. I mean, roughly at the point that it was being traded into Britain, it was coming from Turkey or via Turkey from from obviously the New World where they're from.
4: Huh. Um, that's interesting.
3: Yeah, I I don't know the whole ins and outs of that, but it's it's just kind of. It's just kind of <laughs> odd, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> and the, the <laughs> fact that there's no turkey recipe in this book, although although the examples that you did mention sound amazing. Um, but, you know, as a port city, I'm seeing so many interesting ingredients used throughout this book. Um, or, sorry, and you know, Istanbul, that is, um, thanks to that geographic sort of opportunity. And um, it's just interesting to see corn taking on. Um, what is your favorite, Robin? What is your favorite recipe?
4: My favorite recipe? hmm Yeah. Oh, um, I, <laughs> Sorry, just... I hate that question. That is really, really hard. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I could tell you my favorite recipe from each chapter. I oh. love the the meat. I do really do love the meatball and okay. pumpkin thing from the Vaughn and Hakari chapter. Um, I really love the lamb and chickpea stew from the Northeast chapter. That's that looks delicious great. and easy. I love all fish. Um, I especially love the um, baked salmon or bluefish with lots of herbs from the Black Sea chapter. Um, I love every appetizer from the Tide chapter because mm-hmm. it's it's a really a meze place. But especially the bakla, which is um, curried dried fava beans with tahini and oh. garlic and cumin. Mm. Um, from the southeast, there's a recipe for um, meatballs that are cooked uh, in concentric circles with seared pieces of eggplant on a bed of very tiny um, tomato tomato. Mm-hmm. Um, sauce. And I love that. Um, I love the orange cookies from the Istanbul chapter. And I also love the grilled fish sandwich from the Istanbul chapter.
3: Oh, you just got me so hungry right now. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're about out of time, but I just wanted to see, you know, I, I just wanted to sort of kind of ask you, what do you hope for readers to take away? What is like the most interesting thing that you I thinking? hope for
4: readers who both um, have their idea of Turkish food um, expanded.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I hope for readers to be taken to parts of Turkey um, that maybe they haven't thought about before. Um, and I hope, well, obviously, as any cookbook author, I hope people will be inspired to get into the kitchen, but I also hope that they will be inspired to visit Turkey if they haven't already and um, people often ask me, can I go to Turkey now? Is it safe? And I would say, if you'd go to Paris or Brussels or Barcelona, um, you should go to Turkey. Right. It's an amazing place.
3: You're right. Not not everyone thinks of this as a great food destination, but I oh, would hope that... Oh, it's a fabulous that, food destination. Yes. Well, thank you so You're much welcome. for sharing that throughout this book. And um, bravo on on capturing all these amazing recipes throughout all the regions. So, Thank you. Thank you so much, Robin. And Thanks for having me on the show. Wonderful. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter, Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please, join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.